Good morning to each of you. If you take your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Throughout this day, for the three services that I've been appointed to share the Word of God with you, we're going to focus on the scene that takes place in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22 and coming down through verse number 33. They're known as the five W's. The five W's of research, writing, and reporting. Who, what, when, where, and why. A newspaper reporter, if that person is going to fulfill the responsibility of sharing the news, should answer the questions who, what, when, where, and why. Each year I'm given the opportunity to work with people who are seeking ordination uh, credits and oftentimes we look at them at how to research the Bible and to look at a passage of scripture and you'll never guess the five W's that I share with them as they research a passage of scripture. Who, what, when, where, and why. Maybe you've noticed that it seems most discomforting and oftentimes we want to avoid that fifth W. We're real comfortable talking about who and what and when and where, but when it comes to the why question, that can be rather challenging and at times the challenge is so great that we often just skip over that one. Did you realize that in God's Word, in the Bible, approximately 550 times the question is asked, why? In Genesis chapter 4, Cain's offering has not been acceptable before the Lord God. And God comes to him and says, Cain, why are you angry? In Genesis chapter 18, the angel of the Lord comes and stands before Abraham and Sarah. They've received word that Sarah is going to have a baby. Realizing that he's almost 100 and she's about 90, they laugh. And in Genesis chapter 18, God simply says, why did you laugh? The prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12 says to David, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? To understand the why question there, we go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We realize that David, when he should have been out fighting with his soldiers, had come to a point of comfort where he stays back in the palace. The armies go out, and while he's there in the palace, he walks out on the porch, catches a glimpse of a beautiful woman named Bathsheba, arranges to have an affair with her. She becomes pregnant. And trying to cover everything up, he goes through a series of steps. And when you get to the end of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel 11, you'll think that, well, he's gotten away with it. It's covered up. But you come to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we realize that though it may be covered up here on earth, it's a scandal in heaven. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes and he asks the question, why did you despise the word of the Lord? And why did you do what is evil in his eyes? When you come to the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament is the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus asks, why do you worry? In Matthew chapter 6, 
He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Isn't that a great question? Why do you get over there with a magnifying glass and check out the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye when you got this two-by-four plank hanging out of yours? In fact, as you go to look in their eye, they got a duck because of the plank that's in your eye. Why do you do that? Chapter number 8 of Matthew's Gospel why are you so afraid? Chapter 9. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? In Matthew 14, verse 31, which is where we are headed today, Jesus asks, Why did you doubt? And throughout this day, we're not only going to look at the who, what, and when, and where of these verses, familiar verses to many of us, but we want to look at these verses from the perspective of why. Why is this recorded in God's Word? Why does Matthew include this in his account of the biography that he gives concerning Jesus Christ? Why? Let's look at it. Matthew 14, beginning at verse 22. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says... Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, you might want to pray about that before you know. Jesus said, go for it, Pete. Come. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Our focus as we gather here for this hour will be there at verse 23 and coming down through verse number 31. But if we're going to grasp everything that's found in those verses, we need to remind ourselves of the context in which those verses are found. The context of the entire passage beginning in verse 22 is verses 13 through 21. That tells us in Matthew's Gospel chapter 14 that Jesus has fed a crowd of 5,000 people. In verse 21, Matthew is quick to tell us that he fed 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children. So with one small boy's lunch, Jesus feeds a crowd of 15 to 20,000 people. Verse 22 of this chapter says immediately Jesus separates the crowds from the disciples. We talked about it this morning earlier. It's, it's the fact of attention. Christ did not want his disciples to get caught up in the half truth. See the crowds wanted Jesus because of what they could get from him. And when he had done this miracle of providing fish sandwiches, 
John chapter 6 tells us they want to make him king. They want to make him king based on their perspective. And their perspective was the human perspective. And being the human perspective, all they could think about was the temporal needs of their situation. And so that the disciples would not get confused and get off course, before he, does, before he does anything, Jesus gets the disciples out of there, and then he dismisses the crowd. He wants his disciples not to get sidetracked. He wants the disciples to move out of the crowds who are curious about Jesus, and he wants them to become true followers of him, which not only look to him for what he can do for them, but far greater than that, they allow him to work within them so that he and them can work through them. It's not about just us. It's about them. Christ directs the attention of the disciples to that fact. Then verse 23 tells us that Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. And as we uh, look closely at prayer from the perspective of scripture, we begin to realize that prayer is always a two-way communication. And the truth is that there's a vast difference between saying a prayer and praying. Saying a prayer, it's Lord, 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 Lord. Two-way communication, which develops an intimate relationship with the Father, is Bob, Bob, have you considered? Did you see? Did you look at? Conversation. Jesus had reached a point of crisis in his ministry. John the Baptist, chapter 14, the first few verses, has been put to death. When the crowds want to make him king, Jesus is reminded that uh, it's going to be easy to forsake the full purpose of the Father. And so he goes on a mountainside by himself to pray because he had to tell the Father what he was experiencing and he needed to listen to what the Father had to say about that experience. Conversation. Intimate communication, Father and Christ. Then we pick up the story there in verse 23. It says that uh, Jesus was there alone. And uh, what about those disciples? Verse 24, the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Jesus had put his disciples on a boat and sent them into storm-tossed waters. Think about that for a moment. And as they are out there, the description that Matthew gives us is that the disciples, from the temporal perspective, face a, home, a hopeless situation. They're out there in the boat. They're already considerable distance from the land and they are being buffeted because of the waves caused by the wind. In other words, from the human perspective, this has become a rather hopeless situation. And the word that we see here as we unpack verse 23, 24, 25, and 26 is the picture of realization because in this scene we can look at it from the perspective of the crowds which is well if there are considerable distance from land they need to get to safety and from the human perspective Jesus who put them on that boat needs to do something to get them back to the land safely right that's the human perspective oh Lord get us to safety but that's not what happens Yes, he does calm the waters, but let's not skip everything that's contained in this account until, to, 
just and run to the fact that it calmed the waters because something very significant takes place as this scene unfolds. We're not looking at it from the perspective of the crowds. Jesus, you need to get us back to safety. We're looking at it from the perspective of disciples. Well, why are you doing this? Why are we in these storm-tossed waters and you put us here? Verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Okay? Realization. See, Jesus wants his disciples to understand that when you follow him, you begin to realize that life's interruptions often are an opportunity for a fresh encounter with Christ. Because it says there, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus goes to them and all the people of God said, oh yeah, what a savior. Wait a minute. But he goes to them walking on the lake. Think with me. What at this point is causing frustration for the disciples? They have been given the assignment. They've been put on a boat and they are trying to get from point A to point B. And as they are trying to get from point A to point B, what interrupts their plan? What interrupts their agenda? Storm-tossed waters. And the storm-tossed waters become the avenue upon which Jesus comes into their lives in a fresh new way. The disciples are trying to get from here to there. They have an agenda. They have a schedule. But they come to this, to this storm. And as their agenda is interrupted, you know what? The interruption becomes the way in which Christ comes into their life with a fresh perspective of who he is. And the reason he shows them who he is is because he has a purpose. He wants them to understand that they're going to be the bridge builders to the world around them. When he's gone, he wants them to be prepared to be the bridge builders to the world that they live in. And so they have to deal with this why question. They have to understand that what we perceive as an interruption to our agenda, what we perceive as an interruption to our plans, could be and often is, the way of Christ will come into our life in a fresh, new way. Stormy waters are frustrating the twelve, but that frustration is the used by God to demonstrate who Jesus Christ is. From the human perspective, oh, what an interruption. From the divine perspective, hey, what do you need to tell? What are you doing, Lord? Not what are you doing, Lord, but well, what's this new adventure? Uh, what are you going to show me? Wow. See, it's the whole aspect of who's in control of my life. I've got my plans. I've got my agenda. I know what I need to get done this day, Lord, so you please bless it and make everything happen the way I want it to happen. 
temporal focus. Lord, it's your day. You're in control. And if I have an interruption, rather than becoming frustrated and angry and losing my Christianity, may I be humble enough to say, okay, let's regroup. What's happening? What are you going to do that's unusual? Realization. Realizing that what humanly is perceived as an interruption often is an opportunity for a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes. He comes walking on the water. Now notice the invitation he gives in verse 26 and 27. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost, and they cried out in fear. See, we're talking about faith and fear. The truth is, as you look at this passage of Scripture, in fact, if you look at all of Scripture, you'll discover that the whole Word of God deals with this aspect of faith versus fear. Is faith going to control my life, or is fear going to control my life? Will I be paralyzed by what I'm afraid of, or will I be a person of faith who overcomes those fears because of my faith in Jesus Christ? So they're afraid. Peter, uh, after hearing the words of Jesus, don't be afraid. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Notice the invitation. The invitation when Christ comes is to accept his receiving, accepting, and taking a step of risking faith. Lord, we need to come. When he comes, you can mark it down, he is going to invite us to a risking faith. You see, my friends, we read in the scriptures, Paul says, he began a good work in us, and he's going to take it to its completion. And the only way that he can complete his ultimate purpose in us is to have us continually dependent upon him. And when he says, come, we come. When he says, go, we go. When he says, I want you to do this, we trust him and we do it. Again, it's a crowd versus disciple issue. Crowds say, I need you, Lord. Got this need. Need you to fix it. He loves us. But please understand, he also wants us to come to the realization that a complete purpose is not just what he can do for us, but he also wants us to allow him to work in us so that he can work through us. Verse 30, or verse 29, Peter gets down out of the boat and walks on water. Stop right there. Peter walks on water. I say, way to go, Pete. Now, if you've been in a Sunday school class, you've probably had this. Oh, Peter, he walked on water. But you know what? He began to sink. Yeah, he began to sink, but he doesn't. 
In fact, when you come on down here and you look at verse number 32, you'll see that when they climbed into the boat, in other words, Jesus responds to Peter's cry for help, takes him by the hand, and Peter, with the hand of Christ, he walks all water all the way back to the boat. Way to go, Pete. Oh, by the way, no extra charge for this. It's an opinion. If you sat under the ministry of a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a spiritual mentor who's criticized Pete because he began to sink, they'll probably criticize you if you go and are obedient and step out on faith and you have your moments. And I, you know, I just read this passage so differently than I used to. Verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand, caught Peter, and said, Why'd you doubt? You little. I don't read it that way anymore. I think he said, Pete, your faith is not so small right now. Why'd you doubt? Because I never can comprehend. A Christ who wants to use us to fulfill his complete purpose, yelling at and screaming at and tearing down someone who has the courage to get out of the safety of the corner of the boat and respond and do something that they've never done before and truly, from the human perspective, is impossible. Now, the words that really cause me to think are those words in verse 30. Peter, in verse 29, is walking on water. Then Matthew tells us, but when he saw the wind. That doesn't make sense. You don't see wind. Now, we've just watched the news reports, and we heard about Hurricane Dorian, and man, wind can rip it. Yeah, you, we can see the results of wind, but you don't see wind. And Jesus Christ himself, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And as he's explaining to uh, Nicodemus this whole thing of, of being born again, he says, verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. You can hear it, you can see the result, but you can't see wind. But uh, Matthew says, Peter saw the wind. And so this got me thinking, and it got me trying to do some other studies of New Testament scriptures. It's this whole idea of seen and unseen. And it goes right along with this whole picture of faith. And it's very important when we discuss this, this topic of a risking faith. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, gentleman who was experiencing what we're reading about, he says there, referring to Jesus Christ, though you do not see him, you love him. He goes on, even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. It's this seen, unseen. And Peter says, you haven't really seen Jesus. You, you can't put him on the wall. You, but you believe in him, you love him. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the great faith chapter, the writer there says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for, not wishful thinking living, but true biblical hope. 
It's having confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. See, when we talk about faith, the question is not, do I have faith? The question is, do I have faith in what is seen or what is unseen? And when we come to this aspect of being unseen and trusting that which is unseen, you know, I really, I struggle with it. Then I began to think about my own life. The key question is not, what do I have faith, if I have faith or not? The key question is, what or whom do I have faith in? I checked the Columbus Dispatch this morning. The Buckeyes play football next Saturday at 3.30 p.m. It's on the Big Ten Network. I'm going to arrange my whole week around that information. I read it in the dispatch. I'm going to look at my calendar, and I'm going to determine that at 3 o'clock next Saturday, I will be in my house. I will have my chair. I will have control of the remote. And I'm going to stop at Kroger's sometime and get my favorite snacks. I mean, I build and plan my whole week on what the dispatch said concerning when the Buckeyes play. Do you realize the faith in the unseen that I place there? I mean, I trust that the dispatch is right. I trust that the Ohio State University Athletic Department is communicating the right information. I trust that Dayton Power and Light is going to have the electricity flowing into my house so that when I hit the switch, my television will come on. I mean, I just rearranged my whole week by what I read in the dispatch. I have faith in that which is unseen. I read it in a piece of, on the paper. I, I believe it. I trust it. I act on it. Anybody like to eat out? Come on now. I live in Marysville too. You can't get away without dying that. I've been to the restaurants. They're, oh, they're busy. I go to a restaurant and I open up the menu and I see that that day's special is steak, loaded baked potato, salad. And they also have peanut butter pie for dessert. Woo, see, they're getting blessed over here. Yeah, woo, peanut butter pie. Can't see it, but whoa, it's gonna, that's gotta be good. And when the person waiting on the table comes, they say, what do you want? Well, I want the special. And after I place the order, I notice my whole biological system begins to change. My mouth begins to water, and I can just taste that steak. Mm. Peanut butter pie? In fact, after about two or three minutes, not only does my mouth water, but my stomach begins to... It's rearing up, getting ready to digest my favorite meal. So I see that in my own life, it's a question not of, do I have faith in what is unseen? The question is, what is the object that is not seen that I have faith in? You know, and I come to the word of God, Jesus says, get out of the boat. Trust me. The kingdom of heaven. 
I'm going to use you to build the kingdom of heaven, the Nazarene church in Marysville. I'm going to use you to impact Union County. We read it in the Word. Well, I just don't know. Because, you see, faith is assurance of what is not seen. And please realize that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the, the writer goes on to tell us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Doesn't say he's angry. Doesn't say he's going to rip your head off. But if you want to experience God's complete, ultimate desire for your life, you will realize that when he comes to you, he's going to invite you to a risking faith. And for some of us, Pastor Paul prayed about it today. For some of us, you know what that risking faith is? To simply come and allow Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and begin to follow him. For others of us, We've been hanging around the church for decades. But he's not done with you. He's not done with me. He's not done with you. Go for it. Eric was 14 and Charissa was 10. We took a family vacation to Tampa, St. Pete. We drove down there in the middle of July. It was hot. After we checked into the place where we were staying, we ate some lunch and headed for the beach at St. Pete's. When we saw those waters, Eric and I jumped out of the car, took our towels, threw them on the beach, took off our outer garments down to our swimsuits, and we were in those waters. It was great. Waves breaking, riding the waves. Oh, it felt so good to be in those Gulf waters on that hot July day. We've been out there for just a few minutes, and I looked back toward the shoreline, and there stood Teresa, and she was right at the edge of the water, right at the edge of the line between water and beach. And I heard her, Dad, Daddy! So I went in, and I knelt down in front of her, and I said, you'd like to come out in the water, wouldn't you? You're probably a little bit afraid, aren't you? Now, please understand, for a 10-year-old little girl, when you look into the Gulf of Mexico, it's water forever. Far as you can see, you look down, water. You look to the left, water. For her, it was eternal water. She'd never been in that before. So I said to her, I'll tell you what, I'll hold you by the hand, and we'll just go out slowly, okay? She said, okay. So we took one step, and the waters covered our toes. We took another step, up to our ankles. In a matter of a few minutes, Eric came in, and we were out there in water up to about our chest, her chest, and we were having a great time. Now, every once in a while, after I let go of her hand, a wave would break in such a way that it gently slap her in the face. And she'd say, Daddy! And I'd just reach out and comfort her. A few more minutes, they were young, I wasn't. I grew tired, and I said, I'm gonna go in and sit down on the beach a while, is that okay? Yeah, I said, Emma or Emma? I know I was gonna do that. Sharissa, you okay? Yeah, go ahead, I'm cool. 
as I sat there on the beach and processed what happened, I had a thought that goes like this. The relationship between the father and the child deepened that day. And here's the truth that my daughter experienced. What she perceived as something that was fearful and could have caused her to be paralyzed and not move became the thing that was one of the most exhilarating aspects of her life. There's a spiritual truth right there. The words that appear more in Jesus' earthly ministry are the words, don't be afraid. Why? Because he is consistently calling us to a risking faith. And if we look at it purely from the human perspective, we will be paralyzed by fear. But what we discover is that when we trust him and obey him and go for it, there's a depth of joy that's beyond any human understanding. And by the way, people sitting next to you or in the same class with you may not get it and may be critical, but it's their loss. It's your van. It's your good. It's good for you. The theme of today is, Lord, I want to know you more. And no matter how long we've been hanging around the church, and no matter how long we've acclaimed the name of Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives, the truth is he is working in each of our lives. And the secret is, the key is not, does he want to do something in us and through us? The key question is, am I willing to pursue him and seek him? Just as the deer pants for water, says the psalmist, so I long for him. And that's the invitation today. We're going to sing at the close. Kristen's going to help us. I work with Kristen when I travel, so she's going to help me. She knows how to read my movements. And, and we're going to sing three verses of a, it's a, it's an older contemporary song, but it's built on that, on those psalmist words, as the deer pants for water. And the second verse says, I want you more than gold or silver. I want you more than anything. And I'll be very honest. I'm going to join with you in singing as Kristen leads us in that first verse. But when it gets to that second verse, I'm going to bow here at the altar because I just need to make that statement again of faith. And if he calls me to a risking faith, that I'm, I'm willing to go. So if you, and if you'd like to join us around the altar, please feel free to come. When they get to the third verse, we'll just proclaim together, together, though he is our friend, he's a king. Royal blood is ours. Let's pray. Lord, we talk a lot about relationship with Jesus. And then we come to a passage of scripture 
like the scene of Jesus walking on the water and calling Peter to come join him. And we begin to see how deep this topic of a relationship with Christ really is. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us. Forgive us for treating you so lightly. Forgive us for only coming to you when we need to ask you to help us with our agendas, our plans. Lord, would you teach us to pray also? Not to say more prayers, but to listen to what you are saying to us. And Lord, give us a kingdom perspective. Rather than getting frustrated and angry and throwing a carnal fit every time things don't go the way we want them and Adam planned, that we'd be willing to ask how you're going to come and use this situation so that we have a deeper realization of who you are and what you're doing with us and through us. And Lord, we live in a world that says comfort, comfort, comfort. Security, security, security. May we be countercultural. And may we realize that when you come to us in a fresh new way, that you are going to invite us to a risking faith. Lord, I want you. As we sing this together, may the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. And may we respond as the Spirit directs. Let's stand and sing together.